This is Becoming Her, a podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. All right. Um, well, thank you for being on the podcast. Welcome. Um, my, and I'm just going to turn the mic over to you for a second and let you introduce yourself to anyone who's listening. Sure. So my name is Kendall Alimo. I am an international activist on child sexual abuse um, prevention and education. And um, I am also a survivor of child sexual abuse. And I um, provide clinical training in the community on um, recovery from complex PTSD. So. Wow. Wow. So you've got a personal story and a professional story with all of this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I usually just ask our guests to kind of start telling their story wherever it makes the most sense to them. So wherever you want to start is sure. totally do you fine. Have, do, you have, do you have 32 years? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I know that's so, a really hard thing yeah. to condense into a 30-minute yeah. podcast, but. Yeah. So, you know, anybody that's listening to this that's a survivor, I just want to um, you know, just kind of, I like to be mindful and say, you know, trigger warning if there's somebody that's been sexually abused and hasn't done the work or, um, you know, could be triggered by this, you know, please take a deep breath. Please make sure you call your therapist after. And I just like to um, be responsible in, in the way I talk about this in, in this community. But, um, you know, my story did start like many of us. Um, I was very young and was sexually abused by um, multiple people in my family for just many, many years in my childhood. And that kind of executed itself with misdiagnoses of ADHD and OCD and overwashing my hands and, you know, not even being able to perform well at school because I was just so hypervigilant. And, um, you know, this is what we, these kind of clusters of symptoms, you know, is very representational of, of pediatric PTSD that often goes um, misdiagnosed as other things because children um, don't always have the vocabulary right. to describe what they're going through, A, and B, a lot of times they are threatened or rewarded for um, not telling what's going on in the home. Right. And, you know, if anybody's listening to this and they feel like they are the only person that has gone through and endured this type of abuse, um, you know, your, your story is one of many. And, you know, the reason I tell mine isn't for... Um, sympathy or pity or, you know, I do a lot of public speaking on this. It's certainly not for people to come up on stage after and say, I feel sorry for you. I mean, the, the point of telling my story is so that it does not need to become another child. And I'm just really big on um, prevention and right. kind of normalizing the experience for people so they don't feel isolated um, during their recovery. But this statistically happens to um, one in four girls, when you talk about we are her, that is 25% of the global female population. And so this causes um, things like depression, anxiety, um, eating disorders, and um, self-injury like cutting. So a lot of times um, in adulthood, you will see kind of a mix of these um, symptomologies. And, you know, I really don't believe in labels. I think labels are limiting. I mean, I have PTSD myself, but I don't believe that I am PTSD. Right. But a lot of times people can't really make sense of their symptoms and they don't really um, line up their abuse history with their eating disorders, with their um, fear of intimacy once they start getting into partnerships with, with compulsive behaviors, with phobias. And um, trauma causes so many um, 
you know, it's, it's a unique configuration of symptomologies that is very, very specific to child sexual abuse survivors. And so, you know, I, I have spoken in the community to physicians on how to detect this in children pediatrically, but also, um, the, the configuration of symptoms um, in adults and how what modalities we can use that really, really help these survivors in their recovery. Um, so that is kind of, you know, a little bit about um, my, my, my background, but. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, too. There were a couple of things I was sort of like picking out as you were speaking, um, just sort of this this total lack of knowledge around how trauma can manifest in children, you know, while they're in a dangerous situation or, or, or like experiencing ongoing trauma. I know a lot of kids will experience it um, physically, you know, that it'll mm-hmm. manifest with physical symptoms. And then doctors are trying to diagnose some sort of, you know, tummy problem. That's not really Absolutely. a tummy problem. It's it's related to their trauma. And then later in life, when these behaviors are popping up, um, you know, maybe destructive behaviors or things like anxiety, depression, it can be so hard for that individual to trace the dots back to what's, you know, what the original cause of those behaviors is. Um, So it's tricky. It's a tricky beast. It is. And, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, my recovery was long and hard, Mm -hmm. like many, many of ours. And you know, I had ended up going to treatment centers, you know, around the United States. I went to countless doctors and, you know, my, my trauma, I won't get into it because, you know, the point is not to trigger, the point is to educate, right. but I did go through some very um, difficult and very complex trauma. And it was hard for me to find a treater that could really sit with me in my human experience. And I felt so isolated um, in my recovery because of that. But um, I'm getting a little dissociated right now. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Can you right. talk about what that experience is like for you? Just, I kind of want to just take this moment as a teaching moment for yeah, someone who might yeah. not know what that no, means. No, no, yeah, that's okay. Um, you know, so disassociation is um, something you experience with trauma. You can kind of detach from um, your body and your mind. And some people would say it's 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 like um, spacing out a mm-hmm. bit. So. <laughs> Yeah, that does happen to me frequently, and in fact, I'm um, doing another podcast with a, a doctor here in Chicago called Sentence to Life. We're, we're launching on May 13th, but um, we'll record and have to re-record sometimes. And we, you know, there's we really like to play in our trauma sometimes and and laugh about these things. But I did want to get back to what you're talking about is this physical symptomology, and for me, that really executed itself um, in chest pain. So when I was a little girl, I used to have these. Um, chest pains all the time. And I would go in and out of the emergency room for just years. And I just remember being little and, you know, my heart hurt so badly. And I was just, I just remember thinking, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And so, you know, children also do projection, right? If they're too scared to talk about what's happening, it's, they project it into other um, environmental stimuli, or, you know, in my case, you know, reliving the trauma, having flashbacks in my body. There's a wonderful book called The Body Keeps Score. Yes. But, it's, um, the, it's a great book. I was thinking yeah. of that book while you were talking, yeah. actually. So yes. that's, a, that's a wonderful tool to, you know, learn about. But there are also um, different kinds of flashbacks, right? People with trauma and specifically, you know, this, this type of trauma, too. Um, we do have things called body memories. So we can have flashbacks where we see what happened. Um, we can have emotional flashbacks where we actually feel the emotions. And then we can have um, physical flashbacks, which are called body memories. And so what was happening when I was a child is I was actually having 
body memories of, of what my body was going through at the time I was assaulted as a very young girl. And so I would get these chest pains and just go um, in and out of the ER. And I had um, halter monitors and wires at my shirt going to elementary school. And just nobody knew um, what was wrong. And I just kept going to cardiologists in the emergency rooms for just so many years. So, you know, can I just of, stop there for a yeah, second and yeah, ask yeah. what was the response from the doctors? Did any of them have the wherewithal to try and dig deeper? Or was Were they just kind um, of sticking on the surface? Surface, surface. Yeah. So, you know, part of my story that's really interesting is um, I, because of the abuse I was going through, I really was not performing well in school mm. and did not learn how to read until later in life and in my elementary school career. It was just so difficult for me to just string these letters together. And, and so as a result of that, they put me into um, an individual education plan, which is a spe- an IEP, a special ad. And in order to receive those services, um, I would have to do um, quite a bit of psychological and IQ testing. Um, and I, when I got to a place of recovery and I had educated myself on pediatric symptoms, I said, oh my gosh, like there has to be records somewhere. And so I called the Massachusetts Department of Education and got just hundreds of sheets of paper back and my pediatric physician and I was just floored. I sat at my kitchen table with a yellow highlighter and highlighted every symptom of um, pediatric trauma that just did not get one report to Child Protective Services. And I thought, man, I just spent you know, years in recovery (laughs) and and what do I do with this? I never got legal justice. And so now when I do um, clinical education trainings, I kind of use those in slides to educate, um, you know, mandated reporters and doctors and physicians on what 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 signs behaviorally and emotionally um, to look out for. And so I use my own um, documented slides, you know, Kendall at seven, Kendall at eight, Kendall at nine, Kendall goes to the emergency room. And then on top of those records, I put all of my adult records on top of, you know, all the treatment centers. Um, I suffered from bulimia, which is the number one eating disorder associated with child sexual abuse. So I really present my life story as a clinical case study so that these mandated reporters can really, really, um, really, you know, understand, you know, what to look for specifically. Yeah. And that's so brave and so vulnerable, you know, and of course you could never do that with someone else's story. So yeah. but it's pretty amazing that you're able to do that with your own and just put it out there so that people can learn from it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's interesting. And, and the, the story got bigger, right? And it, it was, oh, my gosh, I can't believe one in four girls are, right. you know, 25% of your We Are Her readers, you know, statistically and, and by research are child sexual abuse survivors. And this is just so big. And then I started doing advocacy. I, I started Blooming Horizons. I started running support groups for people that had you know, disclosed to their families and it didn't go over well and they needed community to feel validated in their stories and get support. And right. so through those support groups, I provided book lists and phone lists for each other. But I started getting phone calls from um, people on, you know, even the cleanup crew from Katrina or 9-11. And I started um, getting inquiries from veterans. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like we have a big problem with trauma in general. This is not just child sexual abuse. This is veterans not getting the care they need. Um, This is, you know, just so many people are affected by trauma. And so, you know, I have PTSD myself. Um, you know, and so I know this illness, I, I, I live it every day. And I think recovery is not, I don't think there's a, a finish line. I think it's a choice every day. And I think we just need to be mindful and continue walking that path. But 
you know, my life's really interesting because I am a clinical educator on this illness, but I also live it every day too. And I just saw through the years that, you know, the mental health system is not um, treating trauma um, in a way that's conducive to full recovery. I think, you know, I just gave a talk at the VA hospital last week, but what happens with trauma is when something happens that's so traumatizing to one person and they share that with another person, I think people inherently want to be compassionate, but what happens is there's this turning away that happens with trauma because they say to themselves, well, if you're a human and I'm a human and you've endured something bad, you know, conceptually, I mean, that could happen to me and that's really threatening. And so people... It challenges people's sense of safety. Like it challenges their own sense of safety and their own reality. And that's a really hard thing for people. And I I get it. I get it. But this is something that's too big to ignore. Yeah. And so something I, you know, I always like to say too, is I mean, if people really know my story more in depth, they're like, oh my goodness, Kendall, you've, you know, you've overcome some really um, serious trauma. And so for me, it's, you know, my trauma is not bigger than another person's trauma or another person's trauma. I think, you know, whether you've been sexually abused as a child, whether you survived 9-11, what, you know, whether you lost your keys before you went to work. I mean, if, if you went through something that caused you trauma and you're suffering, it's valid right. and your story needs to be shared. And, um, you know, it's, you know, you don't need to live in it alone. I think that's why, you know, meeting Stevie this summer was wonderful and I totally support her work at We Are Her and I think you guys are giving people the spaces to um, share lived experiences and I think when we share our human experiences I think we're all a product of um, our experiences and when we tell them it's it's like we can exist and we can be really really seen in our authenticity and I think that's when real um, healing happens because your community can show up and love you in your authenticity. And that is just the deepest, most satisfying type of love. So do you feel like you're sharing your story and kind of getting out there and being more public has contributed to your healing at all? Absolutely. You know, and this is another reason I love, love, love what Stevie's doing at We Are Her is, you know, it, it has, I think as a child, when you're told to keep secrets right. and you're told to keep secrets and you're told to keep secrets and, you know, my trainings, you know, not just trauma trainings, but the ones specifically on child sexual abuse, I always say, you know, these are the secrets that are making us sick. Right. And if we can't share ourselves with other people, we're denying our own identity and, and we're not letting people show up for who we really are. And it's okay to have endured trauma. In fact, I find that people will celebrate you more in it. Right, right. And the very, and the very thing you fear will cause isolation. But I think for me, you know, I was told to keep a secret and it cost me, you know, my childhood and it cost me my health in my 20s battling really complex PTSD and comorbid bulimia. And, and for me to have a voice on these issues and let other, you know, children step forward, let other teachers and doctors report and let other people who might feel, you know, hopeless give them a voice. I mean, I just, you know, I just, I'm happy to march in my parade and anyone that wants to join can, but I think um, having a voice is um, a way for me to have justice in, 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 
in the injustices I've, I've faced in my life. So Right. Yeah. It's bringing a whole new level of awareness to an issue. And I think it's so great that you are an expert on the issue because of your, you know, clinical background on and on the topic, but also because of your lived experience. It gives yeah. you this like intimate knowledge and probably a lot of vocabulary, vocabulary to explain, you know, what this really feels like and what that experience re- really is like for someone who's living it. Um, and to couple that with the expert knowledge is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, I don't know, like if, you know, I would say too, if there's there's somebody listening to this that hasn't really addressed this and has had, so when I use the word comorbidity, I'll use that a lot, but this is, you know, um, like an eating disorder or a drug addiction or self-injury, right? These mm-hmm. are secondary to the trauma that happened. Right. And, you know, that's not just child sexual abuse. This is people that are your listeners that have been raped, or this is a way we are coping with the trauma that's not being addressed. And so, you know, one thing I like to stress is if you go to treatment and you, you know, try to heal an eating disorder or an addiction or cutting, um, but you don't actually address the trauma, your, you know, your likelihood of relapse in these behaviors are just really high. And um, I think, just it's possible to find a therapist that you can really work with on this. And one thing that really helped me is um, joining support groups of other survivors, A, and B, reading literature on this. I mean, I felt absolutely crazy. I convinced myself I was just crazy. And then I started reading all of these books on, you know, neuroscience and trauma and child sexual abuse. And every page I flipped, I just felt less alone in my story. And so, you know, I think, you know, I think as an American citizen, I always joke, it's like your right to be on some kind of SSRI as a U.S. citizen, right? I mean, there is medication as as a form of treatment, but I think the things that really heal uh, are living in your authenticity, creating a community that supports you in your recovery, and just clinical education. There are so many amazing books on Amazon. So if anybody's out there, you know, listening to this podcast and they're scared to tell their family or they're scared to tell their therapist or they feel absolutely alone. They absolutely aren't. And you can wake up tomorrow and put one foot in front of the other and the sun is going to shine. And there is tools for for carving a new path. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me, too, that, um, you know, we know that this is such a pervasive issue. And yet the people who are living this issue often feel so alone and those two truths are in conflict with each other. And it's fascinating to me, you know, that that they exist at the same time. And also that, um, you know, no survivor is glad that anybody else went through what they went through. But if you have been through that, to know that somebody else has and that there are real, you know, patterns of behavior and there's real clinical study about these issues that, you know, you're not alone and that there is help out there. Um yeah. Uh, it you know but I, but to be so trapped in that isolation it can be hard to take the first step to try and yeah. you know reach out to somebody and make that connection or read that book or whatever it is absolutely well you know it's interesting i started at one support group i remember my first support group i went to i just sat and i kind of hung my head and i remember um tears falling down my cheeks but not because i was sad but because i felt like i belonged for the first time mm. in my entire life and it 
you know, because of those groups, um, I started running my own and I started building a network of people that have really become like family to me um, on different continents, right? I send Christmas cards to people um, in Australia now and fellow survivors in South America that still, you know, check in with me on Facebook. And, um, you know, no matter what your adversity is or what your path is in life, whether it's child sexual abuse or something else, I think belonging to a social structure that really accepts you is just so necessary. And there is a space for survivors of child sexual abuse. Yeah. And not just that there's acceptance, but that there's like a fundamental understanding of what that experience is like. And that creates connection Mm -hmm. and that creates a bond really um, from someone who can totally and absolutely just empathize and understand what that experience is like. Absolutely. And I did want to touch on this, too, just because of, you know, what we are her focuses on. And I know you have a lot of people that have endured abuse from, you know, not only family, but, um, you know, domestic violence and rape and assault from um, external family members. And later in life, we're not just talking pediatrically. I think you guys serve a broad, Mm -hmm. um, broad population of women, which is fantastic. But um, statistically, you know, child sexual abuse survivors are more likely to be raped later in life. They are more likely to have STDs later in life. And, um, you know, so when these children grow up, they don't have good boundaries because they are around adults that don't um, implement that and don't respect that. Who've been violating their boundaries. Absolutely. So where where else are they supposed to learn how to have good boundaries? (laughs) Yes. And so what happens with a lot of survivors statistically is they will end up being raped later in life or they will get into relationships um, that are very, very codependent. Codependency is a huge issue, right? Um, If you are raised by someone that told you they loved you, but they treated you poorly, when you go into choose a partner later in life, that's just what's normal to you. So you, um, you know, there's a lot of survivors, even myself, I was with a partner um, for a long time that was not healthy with, you know, for me. And I, I was with this partner before I really, um, worked on myself in in my full recovery, but you are more likely to choose partners that um, unfortunately are not healthy for you and you can get into situations later in life that are um, traumatic again. So you see trauma um, happening over and over. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to back up a little bit too, um, just because it's so amazing to hear what you're doing now and how strong you are and how confident you are and how knowledge knowledgeable you are on this topic and I would love to know more about kind of your journey on how you got there like what did recovery and healing look like for you oh my goodness that was a long road girl yeah (laughs) you have 10 minutes go just kidding (laughs) I'll try to go so you know I, I started and um I worked with a therapist uh you know, in Chicago when I was living here at the time. And then after that, I had moved to California and started working with another specialist. And, you know, my my PTSD is just very, very um, what we would call complex PTSD, which a lot of child abuse survivors do have. That's uh, C before the PTSD. That means multiple traumas for most of the time, many, many years pediatrically. But um, my case was very, very difficult. And um, so I did individual talk therapy. Um, and I, this required sometimes two or three times a week. So it'd be like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Wow. So, um, and then on Saturdays I would go to a support group. Um, and then I went to, um, different programs. Um, so I did some CBT programs, some DBT programs, 
Um, unfortunately, my flashbacks and nightmares were um, so, so distressing. I did end up um, coping with bulimia. So I was in hospitals and um, treatment centers for bulimia uh, multiple times for many, many months. And um had flown across the country to find, uh, you know, go to the best trauma centers and um, finally found a therapist that really sat down with me and did, you know, sand tray therapy and art therapy. And, you know, this was, this was a full-time job. And when I talk about injustice, this is, you know, this is what I'm talking about. And I'm certainly not angry, but I'm passionate about making sure this does not happen to other, you know, children or, you know, sharing my story with other survivors that are trying to find what I learned through that, you know, I did find a therapist that really helped me um, and really, really was able to apply modalities to my trauma specifically, but it did take, it was like a needle in a haystack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as an educated woman, you know, marching around the U.S. trying to find good clinical care. And what I learned from that is like, wow, like, why aren't we, you know, producing therapists and doctors and psychiatrists that really understand about child sexual abuse. And then I looked at the curriculum at different universities around the country, and it is not a requirement in any mental health or medical, um, you know, collegiate program to, to teach curriculum on child sexual abuse or trauma. And so now these doctors are coming out and they're educated in addiction and comorbidity, but they're not educated on how to um, actually treat the trauma. And so that's another reason I just love speaking at universities. <laughs> well, and you were you were educated so, enough that you could advocate for yourself. You really had to yeah. get out there and like fight for your needs, but not everybody is in that position. And that's really upsetting. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I felt I felt isolated in my recovery because I felt like I was educating my treaters right. more than they were actively treating me. And I think that creates isolation and, and a, a unique type of suffering. Right. So yeah, I think we need more. I just had a wonderful conversation with um, somebody getting their um, PhD in California yesterday. And, um, you know, they're focusing on this. And it's just so wonderful that people are working on dissertations on this. It's just so needed. So it is. It's a really um, kind of budding field of research, which is, uh, yeah, very needed, but it feels kind of late. Like, how is the, mm-hmm. how are we just now really starting to dive deep and explore this issue now in 2019? Yeah, yeah. But thank God so, we are. So here we are. Yeah. Yeah, and if anybody that's listening to this is a teacher or doctor uh, or a mandated reporter and wants to know the signs of child sexual abuse or how to report this, they can go to my website, and it's bloominghorizons.com. That's bloominghorizons.com. They can look at um, physical and behavioral and emotional um, signs and how to take the steps to report. So, yeah. yeah. Good. The more resources out there for people, the better. Yeah, and actually, I am uh, starting... Uh, my my own podcast. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm starting that um, with another fellow fellow survivor, Dr. Dr. Jason LaHood here in Chicago. So if any other survivors um, want to tune into uh, us talking about survivorship, they are more than welcome to as well. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd love to know more too, kind of what you do now um, to kind of sustain your healing. So it sounds like you've come such a long way. And I'm like you said, it's not like a destination that you arrive at. You don't just like wake up healed one day. So I'm sure it's an active ongoing process. And I'd love to know more about kind of like what you do in your day to day for yourself to stay healthy and healed. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, um, you know, I definitely have a routine of, you know, this is something so simple, but, you know, I just walk my dog by the lake every morning. I try to be really mindful and really grateful for that. It's really therapeutic for me. 
Um, and a lot of people with PTSD, he sleeps with me um, if I have a nightmare. So that's just really wonderful. And um, he's a great um, companion. And I also um, make art. I The way I kind of conceptualize my trauma is I, I paint it mm. so I can kind of um, get it out of me externally in a little bit and understand it um, and process it through art making. And then um, I also started a new modality that's um, very big right now. It's the biggest um, advancement in psychiatry in the last 50 years. But um, I actually do ketamine treatments. Oh, and wow. I get. I just heard yeah. some, um, yeah, not a podcast, an interview with somebody about this on NPR. It's really interesting. Yes. So I get that through an IV at a clinic here in Chicago. Um, you know, I, I was going once a week for a while, but I'm kind of um, weaning off of it. But it's just been an absolute um, game changer for me. And um, many people around the country and around the world, this has really, really rid a lot of um, really uncomfortable symptoms of PTSD for me. And it's just, you know, anybody that's out there that is interested in ketamine, they can get my contact information. And I'm happy to share more about it. But this is um, a game a game changer in mental health and has um, just been a really, really wonderful treatment for me. So, so dogs, ketamine, and art. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for being so honest and really sharing that. Yeah. I think it's important for other people to hear that there are options and that, you know, even the most stigmatized options options don't need to be stigmatized if they're what you need, you know, and are what are yeah. and what's going to help you. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really liked your description of like art kind of like your trauma coming out of you. Um yeah. I had someone recently explain art therapy for them was like taking the emotions inside of them that were sort of like intangible and like putting boundaries around them and creating this like tangible thing with it that they could then like shelf or step away from or they're like putting it into this tangible form that they can then do something with but and it's hard to do something with your non-tangible emotions and I was like wow that's really a cool way to think about it yeah and I know I know some therapists too for like thoughts that are bothering you say like okay well write down a thought and put it in a box and keep it there and revisit it and I think art making Mm. is kind of like that and I think when you talk about PTSD, you know, somebody told me once a long time ago, they just wanted to make me feel better. They said, oh, PTSD is like a Band-Aid, just rip it off. And I was like, well, that's not the nature of PTSD, right? The nature of PTSD is you, um, you know, you live it every day. You have flashbacks, you have nightmares, and you just you just live it every day. And so how do you put that in a box? And I think, I think for me with art is I can um, kind of paint the experiences I had and kind of in a sense, put put it in a box by painting it on a canvas, and I can kind of let it rest there for a bit. And I think um, it, it makes me it makes me lighter, and it's mm. another way to tell my story um, through through visual form, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I I just think it's really great to have people describe what those different options feel like for them, because maybe somebody hasn't thought about doing that before, and then to hear the way that you describe it, it might resonate with them. And I think that's um, yeah, I think that's really helpful. You know, and one modality is not best for right. all survivors. I think if you're somebody that just, you know, really likes uh, yoga right. or, you know, um, writing in a journal or, you know, CBD oil or EMDR or CBD or DV, whatever it is, I think, you know, it's nice to go to these support groups because, you know, I consider myself a broker of resources, right? right? Yes. I'm like, <laughs> I see that very so much even in this podcast episode and it's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's about finding another person that's a broker of resources, finding finding the tools, playing around, experimenting with them. Don't get discouraged if one doesn't work best for you. And then you just, 
you put those tools that work best for you in your toolbox and just just work with those. Right. So. Right. That's a really helpful way of putting it. So, yeah, I think we're we're going to kind of wrap up this episode. Um, but I always like to end with asking our guests to give some sort of not wisdom, but just, you know, if there's anything that you feel like you would want a survivor to hear or anything that you feel like might be helpful for them to hear, what would it be that you want to say? You know, I think sometimes in recovery, you can get to a really low place and you can think, you know, why me? Why did this happen to me? Why am I suffering so much? And I think when we, I think there are gifts in trauma and I think they um, can be, you know, helping others. And I think that's we what we are heard of. I think that's how I practice in my life. But one thing I always like to say is, you know, survivorship is never you know, a a selfish pursuit. It's about putting the oxygen mask on you and then the person beside you. And I think if we can all lead that way, Mm -hmm. I think um, healing becomes less singular and and more of a community. And that's just, that's just what I have to say. Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. (laughs) And honestly, um, I've spoken to a lot of survivors in my career as an advocate, and they're honestly some of the most empathetic, compassionate, wise, deep, you know, just loving, loving people that I've ever met. And I I think you're right. I think there are some real gifts in trauma, even though, again, you would never wish that someone has to go through that experience. But because of that experience, they're able to like cultivate these really beautiful gifts that they can share with people. And I think that that's a super empowering way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and thank you for sharing with us. You had so many amazing things to say. This is an awesome episode and we just appreciate you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're all done. So have a good rest of your night. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.